Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Annual Meeting Podcast, a new offering from SAEM highlighting the top content, science, and educators from this year's annual meeting. So let's take a second to talk about what we will be discussing on the podcast. The annual meeting has always been a collaboration of inspiring minds and inspiring research in our specialty, and we wanted to get you the behind the scenes with the providers and creators of this content. So several podcasts before the meeting and then three podcasts at the annual meeting. And if you are going to be at the annual meeting or not, this will give you a behind the scenes look as to some of the research going on. So thanks for joining us. My name is Ryan LaFollette. I'm the chair of the social media committee for SAM. It will be joined by Casey Glass, Jim Miner, and Eric Lee, other members of the Social Media Committee, and let's get started. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Rita Manfredi, board certified in hospice and palliative medicine as Associate uh, Professor of Emergency Medicine at George Washington University. Dr. Manfredi, thank you for joining us today. I was just wondering if you could open up, well, this is certainly something that we hear about all the time, but I was wondering if you could open up and tell us a little bit about why it is pertinent and why it is worth a consensus conference in academic emergency medicine. Thanks for having me today. Uh, And I'm really glad to talk to you all about this. You know, being well in emergency medicine is really pretty hard these days. And I think that we all know that you really can't meditate your way into wellness or you can't yoga your way into wellness. And what the research has shown is the system that is burning us out and breaking us down. And um, that is what we are going to be talking about at the consensus conference, because it's the system that is affecting us so tremendously. We'll also be joined today by Dr. Rosanna Sikora, who's an associate professor of emergency medicine and pediatrics at West Virginia University and the co-leader of this year's wellness consensus conference. You know, if you put things in place to prevent people from doing the wrong thing, it just makes it easier. It, it, you know, if you look at, um, I guess, errors in medicine, if you dev- design a system such that a person cannot do the wrong thing, you have a pretty strong system then. And it's going to be like this. It's going to be that we have to find out what are the things that we should have in place so that we don't see burnout. How do you see the organization taking an inherently chaotic place and reframing it into a place to facilitate that individual wellness. Mm. Many great minds have thought about this and they're just coming up with some ideas and been tested and looked at by a very great researcher called Tate Shanafelt. He has done a lot on wellness And uh, what they found is that to start this process, you really have to listen to the people in the primary work unit. And that means those people in the trenches that are actually doing the day-to-day work. There has always been a disparity in what the leader thinks are the problems and then what the worker at the unit level thinks are the problems. And if we don't really listen to what the worker at the unit level says, then we don't have a really good idea of where the problems are. So our job is to try and figure out how do we select leaders who have the forward thinking and are able to look at what 
are the concerns of the people at the unit level. And that's where the breakdown is. It really starts in the C-suite. The C-suite has to become aware of what those stressors are for all of us in order for them to be worked on. Because if the people in leadership positions empower everybody from them down to encourage joy in work, because isn't that ultimately what we all want? We want to be joyful at work. We want to get satisfaction. We want to feel good about what we're doing, what gives us um, motivation to come back, and what makes uh, a day feel like it had purpose. If, if that can happen and the leaders can set the stage for that, then you almost have a win-win situation for where the people in the trenches at the work unit level feel like they uh, somebody's listening to them and therefore they matter and therefore so their well-being matters also. What we're doing with the conference is we're looking at things that we might have under our control. I mean, you can look at regulatory business and payer environments, but we can't really fix those right now. Those are going to take time. Um, but you can look at some organizational factors and how do you make good leaders and how do you get rid of ones that can't be taught how to be a good leader. And so I think it's all of medicine, really. But what we're focusing on is, of course, emergency medicine and all levels, you know, the, the community physicians, the academic physicians, the residents, the students. It's amazing to me how many organizations really have that person at the forefront or encouraging wellness without that data and that science behind it. And I think that this is a great opportunity of doing a ground up approach and getting all the minds in the same room. So I really wish you guys luck in the wellness conference and look forward to what you guys come up with. Any other thoughts or anything that you'd like our listeners to come away with? So we hope everyone that is interested in wellness will come to the consensus conference. We want to hear everybody's ideas and we're looking for people who are really interested in thinking outside the box because I don't think this is going to be solved in my lifetime. I don't think I'm going to see the fruits of what we're doing now, but to know that it will happen maybe in the next 50 or 60 years would be very, a big comfort to me. And finally, today, we have Dr. John Prescott, Chief Academic Officer for the Association of American Medical College, or the AAMC. He will be giving the first education keynote on Thursday at this year's annual meeting. Dr. Prescott was trained to Georgetown and then did a military residency in San Antonio, served for the military, and then became faculty at West Virginia University, where he became the inaugural chair of that Department of Emergency Medicine. Dr. Prescott exemplifies an academic physician who's able to climb the ranks and become a leader not only in our specialty, but leading medical school education across the nation. Dr. Prescott, welcome to the podcast, and can you walk us through a little bit about what your current role is in the AAMC? I serve as the chief academic officer, um, and in that capacity, I work with the deans of 154 medical schools. I um, uh, There's something called the Council of Deans, and so uh, and there's about a 30 dean turnover every year. Um, I know all of the deans at all the schools, um, and some of them have become quite good friends. Um, I also work on accreditation issues with uh, help supporting the LCME. Uh, student affairs uh, issues, so anything that has to do with students, um, a lot of the faculty issues, 
and medical school operations. So honestly, just about anything that goes on in a medical school is something that falls into the area of, of uh, chief academic officer. And I also worked very closely with the VA and, uh, and when needed the Department of Defense, um, given my prior military background. I understand that when you came out of residency, you actually did a couple of years in the community. Can you talk about that active decision to go from community medicine to become an academic emergency physician? I would, I would uh, love to tell you that it was carefully planned out. And the matter is, it wasn't. And actually, that's going to be one of my points. The session that's coming up is, um, you know, how does one decide to go into emergency medicine and how does one decide to go into academic emergency medicine? And I think that what, uh, which, which was important was that I, I, as well as everybody in this group that I was working with, we were all committed to forming a new department. We managed to do it through tenacity and imagination and innovation. I, I was new to the culture of academic medicine. Um, as a matter of fact, I can still remember my first lecture in front of the medical students and uh, telling people that um, I, I couldn't believe I was there. I had always hoped in my emergency medicine program to at least maybe run a community emergency department. But that was about as far as I went. I didn't think that I would be capable or able to, to lecture or, or help run a uh, academic department. And yet I had some of the organizational skills that helped. And I heard, certainly had wonderful friends and great colleagues at West Virginia who did the, the lion's share of work with helping us get the residency up and going. I did took uh, an idea that we needed to focus on rural emergency medicine, uh, being that West Virginia is such a rural state, and was able to um, uh, work with the, the CDC um, and convince them that we had you know, injury was such a big factor as far as uh, morbidity and mortality in that state, that if we could focus efforts on that um, and also combine that with efforts on education in emergency medicine throughout the state, we would have a big impact on the health. And so combined with the residency program, we were able to to address really some of the, the, the areas where we had the largest numbers of injuries, certainly motor vehicle crashes, farming, logging, mining injuries, environmental uh, uh, injuries that occurred. Um, we wanted to take on some of the uh, injuries that were related to gun violence, but that was not politically viable. So we didn't really do that other than really promoting and helping uh, with gun safety courses in schools. So the question is, how did you take that motivation, that niche, and then build an academic career out of it? I did figure, figure it was very important to uh, to learn how to um, advance in as an academic uh, physician. So one of the key steps was really learning and understanding the promotion and tenure process and knowing what was important uh, to help advance myself in, uh, in, in rank. And was actually at that time also advancing the specialty of emergency medicine because no one had ever achieved the various ranks. And um, I was the first professor of emergency medicine at, at WVU. And that took some uh, some going through because, again, they weren't used to this at, at that time. So it, 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 was, um, it, was, uh, it wasn't necessarily out. But I for opportunities along the way and um, had a great deal of, of, of support from family and friends and colleagues uh, to make that happen. And you are certainly a great example of that. Now that we have these opportunities available to us and we have such a broad scope of practice, where do you see the specialty going now? Emergency medicine has always had a wonderful reputation of being uh, risk takers, of being people who wanted to try something new, um, people who just wouldn't give up. I see our specialty um, continuing to grow. I mean, we are active right now in 
so many different areas. There, um, there isn't a part. I mean, we've been up in space and we've been below the oceans. We've been uh, in environments that people couldn't imagine. Um, we continue to to push medicine in ways that uh, that has never been pushed before. And we are there all the time, day and night, 365 days a year. I, I am I am concerned of one thing with emergency medicine right now, not just one, but the um, it's important when I when I would go to conferences way back in you know in the 80s, emergency medicine spoke with one voice. Um, and yes, people were in different areas. What I guess I see now is a little bit more of a, um, a division within the specialty. Uh, people are taking on, uh, you know, I'm a researcher. I'm an educator. I'm a, uh, uh, I'm a clinician. I'm a, and in reality, all of us are all of those things. And what really does bind us together is this something that's essential and uh, that's that's part of who we are and what attracts us to the specialty in the first place that is unique to to our specialty. Something else unique to our specialty is the medium that we are talking on now and the advent of free, open access medical education. As someone that is on the forefront of medical education and the next generation of learners, where do you see free open access medical education integrating into the context of the greater being that is medical school and residency education? Well, I, you know, I, I think it's a tool. It's an, it's an incredibly important tool, um, tool that really has, uh, it, it, from all I've read about it, um, is really something that's generated and it's come from the um, emergency medicine community. And it has, it has tremendous potential. Um, I forget, not just potential, excuse me, tremendous uses. Um, knowledge comes of, it can be shared quickly. Uh, you know, people can access it very easily. It's uh, information is disseminated all over very quickly. And and yet, there's those caveats that that others have, have certainly pointed out that um, sometimes this information is 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 not hasn't sci- hasn't been truly validated yet, or it's been there has been um, what may happen or be good in the United States may not be the standard of care somewhere else in the world. So I, I I think that it's a tool. It's one of the tools that we need, and we one of these tools that we need to continue to validate. But it shouldn't be something that, as emergency physicians, we ought to and we need to utilize every tool that's out there that can help uh, us take better care of our patients to teach the next generation of physicians to be better prepared for the future. So this may be one of them. It won't be sufficient. It's, it's a, it's a, there are other skills that a, 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 a emergency physician obviously needs to have. And there's a, certainly those core values that each emergency physician must have in order to deal with the complex situations and problems that, that confront the, a physician and, and, uh, the team that she and he face uh, on a daily basis in, in emergency medicine. Dr. Prescott, can't wait to hear your talk and see you at the conference. Thanks for your time. Brian, thank you very, very much for the opportunity to speak to you and to others. And that's a wrap for this episode of the podcast. Join us next time.